You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Kama arsalna feekum rasoolan minkum yatlu alaykum ayatina يَتْلُو عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتِنَا وَيُزَكِّيكُمْ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمْ مَا لَمْ تَكُونُوا تَعْلَمُونَ I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. We have sent to you a messenger from among yourselves who recites our signs to you and purifies you and teaches you the book and the wisdom and teaches you that which you knew not. Chapter 2, verse 152 Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah Welcome to Understanding Islam, Series 7. In this series, we will be covering the Nishanat, which is the signs and help of the Promised Messiah from Allah. And we're mentioning these in his own words, taken from the book Malfazat. Today I'm joined by Basil Aziz and Ikan Ahmed Khan. So welcome all. And we are going to cover the sign of acquittal. So first of all, can I ask Basil, can you read the passage about the sign of acquittal? Then there was the case of attempted murder that was filed against me, in which people like Dr. Clark were involved as well. Mulvi Muhammad Hussain also went to give testimony against me, and the well-known Arya, Ram Bhajat, the lawyer, came to pursue the case as well. There were many hundreds of people present who could testify to the manner in which all the details and circumstances of this trial were foretold in advance. Finally, a prophecy of my acquittal was also made through the revelation, Ibra, i.e. to exonerate. These are God's matters of the unseen. Is it within the power of man to make a prophecy in this way? Is it possible for a human being to provide an entire illustration of what would transpire at a time when there were no signs and traces of this case. Right, thank you very much for that. So here, the promised Messiah has said that then there was the case of attempted murder that was filed against me, Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, in which people like Dr. Clark was involved as well. So this court case happened on the 1st of August 1897, Henry Martin Clark filed a lawsuit of attempted murder against Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmed in Ludhiana. The Deputy Commissioner, Montagu William Douglas, was a judge for the case. Dr. Clark stated that Hazrat Ahmed had sent a youth 
named Abdul Hamid to murder him. To understand why this charge was made, we need to look at the relationship between the two. The Reverend Dr. Henry Martin Clark established a branch of the Church Missionary Society's Medical Mission in the village of Jandiyala in the district of Amritsar in 1882. Dr. Clark thought that the best way to propagate Christianity was to hold a public debate. He thought that this would expose the villagers' limited knowledge of Islam. The village elders requested Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, to accept the debate and represent them. Dr. Martin Clark did not want to debate with Hazrat Ahmad. To counter this, he made a leaflet stating that Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, was not considered a Muslim. So how, how can he represent Islam? Dr. Clark referred to the arguments and statements made by Muhammad Hussein of Batala, but the village elders stuck to their decision. They wanted Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad to represent them. Finally, Dr. Clark agreed, and the debate was referred to as the Holy War. Now, before explaining a bit further, why do you think the villagers wanted Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad to be their representative? even when Muslims were saying that he is not a Muslim. So, any ideas why you think this, Basil? I think because he was the only one who had previously debated many people and won in the debates, and he was the only one who was able to present arguments from the Holy Scripture and was able to defend Islam in a proper manner. That's why I think that people were confident in him. Yes. This is what we need to understand, that Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, in the early days, was known as a champion of Islam. He had been doing these debates for many, many years, and the Christian missionaries knew of him. They were scared of him. They knew that they couldn't answer this. They could answer the other Muslims because of their understanding of the Holy Quran, but the way Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed explained these things, and especially, as you said, quoting from the Bible itself, this was something which they did not want to encounter. And so here, Dr. Clark was being mischievous. I mean, it's for the Muslims themselves, surely, to decide who should be doing the debate. But here he's saying, well, why are you picking this person when you refer to him as a non-Muslim? So this was, like I say, just trickery on his part, because he feared facing Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, and so he's trying to get the village elders to say, look, he can't represent Islam. So, Ikam, what do you think? Should he have represented Islam or not? Yes, definitely he should have represented Islam because he was the only one who was that knowledgeable among other people in that area, and he was the only one who had so much knowledge about Islam. And he was the only one who was receiving revelations at that time. And because of this, he was the champion of Islam. Yes, he was obviously the best person for the Muslims to select in this case. And this is why, a bit mischief I say from Dr. Clark, that he wanted to avoid Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed. But in the end, he had no choice. He had made this challenge. The villagers had made the person who they wanted to represent. And he couldn't get out of that. 
And so a debate took place, which, as we said, was known as the Holy War. Now, as mentioned previously, Abdullah Atham represented Christianity. Now, we've already obviously discussed about Abdullah Atham, but the fact was that, obviously, in this Holy War debate, Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, as we mentioned before, won that debate, even though there was some, again, mischievous trickery by the Christians, because they tried a clever trap, what they thought was a clever trap, and they brought a blind person, a lame person, and a dumb person, and told him to produce a miracle that could cure these three people. But Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, said, that look, it's the Bible that states that Jesus, may peace be upon him, was able to perform these types of miracles. But he personally did not believe it, but he was sure that all Christians believed it. As Jesus himself taught, that if they have as much faith as a mustard seed, then they too could make the blind see, the dumb talk, merely by laying their hands on them. Now was their opportunity to prove their faith. If they did so, then he, Hazrat would immediately recognize the truth of Christianity. And it was a very lovely way in which Hazrat may peace be upon him, was able to turn it back on them, where they were trying to prove him false. Now he showed that their own faith was that weak that they couldn't perform these miracles. As we mentioned before, Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, warned Athim that because of his insults to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, therefore Allah will punish him and he will be thrown into hell within 15 months. And Athim repented and kept quiet. And when he survived the 15 months, Dr. Clark was overjoyed and declared that Christianity was victorious. But when Athim refused to declare on a solemn oath that he entertained no doubts whatsoever about his religious beliefs and would not make an oath even after being offered 4,000 rupees by Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, then Dr. Clark became incensed by the result and wanted to find a way to bring down Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, and silence him forever. So this is the background and shows the feelings that Dr. Clark already had for Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed. Now, Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, in the passage that you read, then went on to say that Mulvi Muhammad Hussein also went to give testimony against me. And the well-known Arya, Ram Bhajat, the lawyer, came to pursue the case as well. Basil, can you explain who Mulvi Muhammad Hussein was? Molvi Muhammad Hussain Batalvi was a friend of Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, before he made his claim of being an Imam Mahdi and the Promised Messiah. In the early days when Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote his book, Rahine Ahmadiyya, he even wrote a full-on review about his book, which was entitled Review Brahine Ahmadiyya. So he knew him very well and they were close friends. And he was a scholar as well in the early days. But after Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, made his claim of being a Promised Messiah, he turned his back on him and turned totally against him. In fact, he became the greatest opponent of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. 
So that's a brief introduction of Maulvi Muhammad Hussain Batalvi. Yes. Now, as I said, we're now in the year 1897. So in 1891, Hazrat Mazaklam claimed to be the Promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi. And as you said, Hazrat Maulvi Muhammad Hussain, who was a very close friend and, like you said, admired him, admitted that he was a champion of Islam and so on and so forth. He was one of the greatest opponents who turned against him and issuing fatwas against him. So this was him. Now, he had been called to give testimony against Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed in this court case. Why? Why would he do this? So obviously he's a Muslim and Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, we believe, of course, is a Muslim. So getting a Muslim to testify against another Muslim again shows that this must be great hatred between the two. And this was why he chose him. Now, the other thing, of course, here is that an Aryan, an Aryan is a Hindu. We talked about them as well before. So a Hindu by the name of Ram Bajat, a lawyer, also served this case. So we've got to bear in mind this is a Christian who is bringing this case against a Muslim. And that Christian is calling another Muslim to testify and this Hindu, free of charge, is willing to serve as the lawyer. So Ikan, what do you think about that? What's that raise in your mind? Dr. Clark, because he hated the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and he was trying to build a case against him that was completely false. And he tried to get Malvi Muhammad Hussain because he knew that he hated the promised Messiah. May peace be upon him. As soon as he claimed to be the promised Messiah, and even though before Malvi Hussain was a friend of the promised Messiah, but now because of the hatred, Dr. Clark used him. And then there was a Hindu lawyer that volunteered to be their lawyer to build a case. And that was purely because other religions they were terrified of having a debate with him because they knew that whatever point they bring up that will be proved wrong yes i mean basically here we have a court case where dr clark is trying to show that hazrat meza glam ahmed tried to kill him and he brings as a witness another muslim and not only just another Muslim, but a Muslim that hates Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed. He hasn't witnessed anything of the actual case. So why bring him in just to testify that this person's not Muslim, I don't like him, he's a bad person or, or whatever. And then like you say, an Aryan becoming a lawyer. I mean, this is Christian and a Muslim. It's got nothing to do with Aryans. But again, because Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed had been doing debates with the Aryan Samaj and been successful, they too wanted to get rid of him. And so here we see that Dr. Clark has hatched a wonderful conspiracy along with the Hindus of the Aryan Samaj and the Muslim opponents. So it's a great show of unity. Three great religions, Christianity, Muslims, Hindus, all coming together. But sadly, for the wrong reasons, the reasons to destroy a person 
who is representing Islam. You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. So this was the background. Let's continue with the passage that Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmad continued to say. There were many hundreds of people present who could testify to the manner in which all the details and circumstances of this trial were foretold in advance. A prophecy of my acquittal was also made through the revelation Abara, meaning to exonerate. So this is a sign that we're looking at today. Obviously the whole program is about the signs of Allah. And here Allah has informed the promised Messiah beforehand that he would win. So this was the, the sign which we're discussing today, that the promised Messiah had told people beforehand that God has given me this revelation and God told me not to worry, you'll be exonerated. You're going to win this case, so do not worry. This, I say, it's a different type of sign, but it's a sign of prophecy that came true. On the 1st of August, 1897, Dr. Martin Clark, a Christian missionary, in a country being ruled by the British government, took an Indian to court on a charge of trying to conspire to murder Dr. Clark. He had a youth called Abdul Hamid, who swore on oath that Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed had told him to go to Amritsar and murder Dr. Clark. Now the magistrate immediately issued a warrant for Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed's arrest. He also asked that Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed immediately pay 20,000 rupees into court as security and have two other people stand security for 20,000 rupees each. Everything was against the promised Messiah in this case. Despite the overwhelming conditions against Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, he pronounced that Allah had promised him that he will be acquitted. So here, as I say, now coming to the actual case, that apparently, first of all, 20,000 rupees. Now we talked about this before, about the money in those days. 20,000 rupees, even in these days, is a huge amount. But not just 20,000 rupees, but two other people had to put up 20,000 rupees. And this is to not put him in jail so that he doesn't run off. So obviously, if he wins the case, he gets the money back. But he had to lay that down, first of all. So that in itself, I think at that time, was a huge amount of money. We're talking over 150 years ago, and Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, he wasn't a rich man. You know, all the money he had, he was spending in the way of Islam. So to ask anybody to raise 20,000 rupees would be very difficult. But to ask free people to raise this sort of money. So again, it shows that the idea was he couldn't raise the money and he would have to remain behind bars. Now, the passage continues to say, These are God's matters of the unseen. Is it within the power of man to make a prophecy in this way? Is it possible for a human being to provide an entire illustration of what would transpire at a time when there was no signs and traces of this case? So this is how Allah works. The Amritsar magistrate shortly afterwards had realised that he had no jurisdiction to issue a warrant. 
and had therefore transferred Dr. Clark's complaint to Goodaspur. Dr. Clark asked Captain Douglas to start a trial without delay. It started within seven days. Now, obviously, seven days to try to get evidence and things like that. Do you think that's a normal thing? I mean, let's take today's case. If there was someone who had been arrested for murder, do you think that within seven days a court case would have been there that all the solicitors and barristers and whatnot would be prepared and ready to do a case within seven days? What do you think? No, that's a bit too less to form such a huge case on someone that can put them behind bars for years or their lifetime, basically. That kind of a case should be studied for at least a couple of months where you can have legitimate proof and witnesses that can go against or that can go in the person's favour that he is innocent. So just hurrying up that case and doing it in seven days, that just means that they just want to do it to put him behind the bars. Yes, I mean, it's a very strange thing. Now, many years later, Captain Douglas, by then much senior in rank and retired, told what then happened. I told him, Dr. Clark, this is a very serious. You should go to the police for inquiry. Then it should go to the sessions. This was a much higher court. So here it's showing again that police hadn't really investigated this. There hadn't been enough time. And that it also should have gone to a lesser court before coming to a higher court. But Dr. Clark, being a Christian missionary in British India, used his influence. And of course, Captain Douglas at that time, he was quite young in those days. But Dr. Clark replied to him, I am ill and I want to take leave. I'm afraid my witness may be tampered with. I want the case to go on at once. The Captain Douglas said that it was impossible. I can't possibly charge Ghulam Ahmed with any offence until there has been an investigation. There isn't enough evidence. After a few moments thought, he added, but I can see no objection in asking for security to maintain the peace if the evidence you have justifies that course of action. So after some further discussion, Dr. Clark agreed. A summons was issued, ordering Hazrat Ahmed to appear in court in Batala on August the 10th. Supporting Dr. Clark was a collection of Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed's opponents, including Muhammad Hussein and strangely Pandit Ram Baj Dutt, a well-known lawyer of Lahore, volunteered his services as legal advisor. He assisted the prosecution. Therefore, the Arya Samaj sect was represented in the most peculiar and powerful way. The case was conducted by three of Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed's most bitter opponents. Dr. Clark representing the Christian missionaries, Muhammad Hussein representing the Muslim divines, and Mr. Dutt, representing the Aryan Samaj sect of Hinduism. Dr. Clark admitted as much in court. When he was asked if he had paid any fee to Pandit Ram Baj Dutt, he replied, We, all the people, are taking a concerted action against a man who is our common foe. 
Right, so let's now go on to the case. Abdul Hamid, aged 17 years old, said that he went to Kardian and stayed for 14 days in the Ahmadiyya guest house. He had been sent away by Hazrat Meza Glam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, as a person of low character. He then went to the American mission on arrival in Amritsar, but did not get food and lodging that he hoped for. He then went to the mission run by Dr. Clark and his helpers. His purpose was to assassinate Dr. Clark as ordered by Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him. Despite the fact that he was sent to kill Dr. Clark, Dr. Clark told Captain Douglas that as his life was in danger, he was willing to look after him. And Captain Douglas navally agreed. Okay, so here again we're seeing that a young man, he came to Cardian. He stayed at the guest house, but it was obvious to Hazmaz Glamamda and the people that he was only coming just for food, somewhere to stay. He wasn't really interested in the claim of Hazmaz Glamamda. And so Hazmaz Glamamda sent him away saying, look, we want people who are wanting to learn about my mission. So now he came to Amritsar and went to the Christian mission. And then they also didn't give him food and things like that. So he ended up in the mission being run by Dr. Clark. Now, apparently, he was told by Hazmat Glamamad that you go to this mission and kill Dr. Clark. So why he went to the Christian mission beforehand, if this was his real purpose, is not clear. And the second point being made here is that even though he was meant to kill Dr. Clark, it was Dr. Clark who was willing to look after him in his own place because he felt that his life was in danger. So what do you think about this? Does this make any sense? Basil? If Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, really actually did ask Abdul Hamid to go and murder Dr. Clark, why didn't he go straight to murder him? He stayed in Amritsar before that, which clearly shows that his intention was not to go straight to murder Dr. Clark. And secondly, even though he went to Dr. Clark after that, Dr. Clark took care of him, even though he was there to murder him. So that clearly shows that his intention was not to murder him. Because if that was the case, he would have done so. And Dr. Clark would not have taken care of his murderer. So that's why I think. By the third day of the trial, Captain Douglas realized that there was something very much wrong with the evidence that was being placed before him. His clerk suggested that Abdul Hamid be taken out of Dr. Clark's custody and questioned separately. He felt that Abdul Hamid was being coached every night about what to say. Captain Douglas ordered the police to remove Abdul Hamid from Dr. Clark's custody and to question him independently, which should have, of course, happened in the beginning. Abdul Hamid struck resonantly to his story that Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed 
may peace be upon him, had asked him to murder Dr. Clark, and he had agreed to do so. Police Superintendent Lemar Chand decided to record the investigation. He started questioning Abdul Hamid again, writing down his answers. He had completed two sheets of questions and answers when Abdul Hamid burst into tears and flung himself at Mr. Leman Chan's feet. He confessed that he had lied completely in all his statements. Everything was untrue. He said that there was no plot by Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, and his followers to murder Dr. Clark. The story had been made up by the missionaries. They coached him over several days as to how he was to tell it. So that Abdul Hamid would not forget an answer, they wrote the answer on the palm of his hand. Recalling the trial, Captain Douglas said that his suspicions was first aroused because of the way Abdul Hamid gave the evidence. He spoke with a lot of precise detail which damned Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed not at all like a truthful witness, whose statements are usually not so precise. When Abdul Hamid admitted that he had gone first to the American mission, though he had come to Amritsar in order to assassinate Dr. Clark, Captain Douglas decided that enough was enough. He said, That answer decided in my mind that he had no intention of killing Dr. Clark. I decided to end the case. Before the court rose, he told Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, that he could sue Dr. Clark for malicious prosecution. Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, replied that he did not wish to prosecute Dr. Clark before an earthly court. His complaint was already pending before the highest judge of all. Dr. Clark died on May 16th, 1900. Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed's conduct throughout the trial won admiration from many people who were not his followers. The trial, which was meant to destroy Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, had the opposite effect. It was Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed who had been shown to be telling the truth. Therefore, was he also telling the truth about his revelations from God? The number of people coming to Kardian to listen to Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed's preaching increased. Dr. Clark had been disgraced. Muhammad Hussein had been humiliated. Abdul Hamid served nine months' imprisonment. Allah told Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, I will humiliate those who intend to humiliate you. Okay, so you've heard the case. Do you think that they who tried to raise this case against Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed was in fact humiliated? What do you think? Yeah, I think they were definitely humiliated. Because at the end, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, his prophecy was fulfilled that he will win the case. And he did. So I think that's enough evidence that they were humiliated. So Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed had a vision that he had seen lightning coming to his house from the west. As it got nearer, it changed into a star. When he received the word of God, this is a threat from the authorities but you will be discharged. He knew legal action would be brought against him, but he would be victorious. So this was a great sign of acquittal. 
So as I mentioned, it's a different type of sign this time. It's really just focusing on a revelation which the Messiah got and how it came to pass. And of course, as we've been seeing in this court case, that everyone was against him. But Captain Douglas, who later on we, we met and he had a strong attachment to the community later on, but he could see the piety in Hazrat Mazaglamambada and knew that this was not a man who was cheating. Whereas his own countryman, Dr. Clark, he could see that this was not right, what he was trying to do. And so he was brave enough and strong enough to go against him. You are listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. We see a similar incident in case of Jesus, peace be upon him, when he was trialed in the court of Pontius Pilate, the Roman judge. Pontius Pilate also believed that Jesus, peace be upon him, was innocent. He didn't want Jesus, peace be upon him, to be given a death sentence. And he tried to even save him, even though he tried it, but he still gave in to the Jewish leaders. But as we see in the case of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, it was quite the opposite. Even though the case was almost similar, the result was opposite, in which the opponents of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, were humiliated, and promised Messiah, peace be upon him, was victorious in this case. Yes, very good likeness, because, as you said, that whereas Pilate gave in to the pressure of the people, and even though he wanted to declare Jesus innocent, he gave in and allowed them to put him on the cross. Here, with the second coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah, Captain Douglas decided to remain strong against his own fellow countrymen in the British, and we've got to always remember that this was British India at that time, but justice is justice, and he felt that this person, he is true, and so despite what his countrymen wanted, he wouldn't go for that, and he, like you say, resisted that, and instead went firm in his decision, and freed the Messiah, and honoured him, and said, look, you can even sue Dr. Clark if you wish, because he has brought this case against you, which was wrong. So, shows the difference of what happened in the Messiah's time to Jesus' time, and how God helped the Messiah to be victorious. Okay, so we'll now go on to another sign where God made a promise beforehand. So it's a similar one, where God made a promise and how that became fulfilled. So Basil, can I ask you to please read out the passage about the sign of the Conference of Great Religions? The sign of the Conference of Great Religions. Then, the sign of the Conference of Great Religions was also a great sign. Khawaja Kamaluddin Sahib and many other friends are a witness, and they can swear on oath that they had been informed in advance, and an announcement had been published and distributed as well, that the paper has been declared supreme. This sign was fulfilled before thousands of people, exactly as the prophecy had been made. Both English and Urdu newspapers unanimously declared that my paper stood above all the others. Okay, thank you for that. Now, as the passage says, then the sign of the conference of religions 
was also a great sign. As we was talking about in the last bit, that these signs are actually signs of prophecy, that God foretold that he would be victorious. And this is another incident where God told him he would be victorious. Now, what was this Conference of Religions? The Conference of Religions relates to a conference which was organised at Lahore in India. Of course, there was no Pakistan in those days. On December the 26th to December the 29th, 1896. The idea of this conference was that all seekers after truth should attend and hear about the different religions of the world and what their beliefs were. The idea of this conference came from Swami Sadhu Shugan Chanda, a Hindu. He appointed a committee of six people to oversee the arrangements. One of those people was Hazrat Malana Hakim Nuruddin, who became the first Khalifa of Ahmadiyyat. The committee invited the learned representatives of Muslims, Christians and Aryans to set forth the excellences of their respected faiths. The object of the Conference of Great Religions was to give the learned divines of each religion an opportunity to convince others of the truth of their respective religions, while the listeners would be able to assess each speech in relation to the others and accept the truth from wherever it was to be found. So this was the idea. It's something obviously which our community has ever since been holding. And as we said, different speakers are to speak about their own religion. And those in the audience can then hear about the different religions. And whichever they feel is a truth, hopefully they would accept the truth. So what do you think? Is this kind of conference a good way to learn about religions? And do you think that if the Pearson coming was a Christian, for instance, and a Muslim gave a better speech, he would accept Islam or would he hold firm to his own faith? Basil? I think such interfaith discussions are a great way to know the truth, especially if the standard is based on the holy scriptures because anyone can claim different things but if your claim is based on holy scripture and you prove that it's the truth and no one can refute it then i think that's a great standard i think even if you're not changing your own religion but you can gain so much knowledge and insights of another religion and you can know how much similarities there might be within your religion and the religion that the other person is representing. And then if you have any misconceptions about that religion, that can go away. Okay, thank you for that. Yes, first of all, brother, I mean, this concept is a very good way for people to hear different religions providing, like you said, providing they're quoting from their own scriptures. Because many times people make up their own ideas of what they believe. And if they're not keeping to the holy books, then it is basically their own ideas. It's not coming from the prophet. So this is an important thing, and which was stressed, which we'll mention a bit in a minute, 
that they must keep to their own books and quote from their own books. As for whether they are real true seekers after truth, I think you're right there, Khan, that at least they will get to hear about different religions and maybe see that how it supports their own faith. If a person's sincere, of course, if he hears that a certain religion is better and true and there's weaknesses in his own religion, he should obviously turn to that religion. But generally, it's unlikely. More people, they want to go to support their own religion and they don't want to accept other religions. It depends on the person and why they've actually come there. Are they really seeking after truth? But it is a good way. And as I said, we have since been making these sort of interfaith conferences with the same condition, as you mentioned, that they should just keep to their own faith, quoting from their own scriptures. It's not a, a chance to attack other people's religions, but to show the beauty of your own religion. The main reason why we do it is to bring people together to hear the similarities of different faiths and understand that there is just one God and that same God has been giving that same basic message to all his prophets. So if people can understand that, then that may help them to understand what is the link between the religions and not that one religion is right and the others are all wrong because obviously if there is only one God, it should be the same message. Why is it different? That's what they need to come to that conclusion. So let's now turn to Swami Saab, who, as I said, organized this committee and what he wrote about his desires for this conference. So he wrote, if a person sees another suffering from a fatal disease and he firmly believes that he holds a cure for that disease and he also claims to have sympathy for the human race, then how? How is it possible for him to intentionally turn away when called upon to provide a remedy? My heart is filled with a desire to know which religion is the one replent with truth. I have not the words to express my fervor. He then continued that each speaker was required to give an address on five questions. The first question was the physical, moral and spiritual states of man. The second was what is the state of man after death? The third was what is the true purpose of man's existence? The fourth, what are the effects of one's deeds? And the fifth, what are the sources of divine knowledge? He further said that each speaker must confine their answers to the holy books. Each speaker are to speak about their own religion and not to attack other religions. So, what do you think? First, these five questions, do you think they're good questions to think about or maybe there's a different questions or you think there's something wrong with these questions? So, Basil, what do you think? These questions were presented around 150 years ago and they were relevant at that time. But if you look today, people are still looking answers to these questions. I don't think these questions will ever be outdated and people will always be looking for the answers to these questions. So I think these are necessary and great questions to know about your faith and any faith in general. 
Yes, I agree. I often meet people who is interested in spirituality. They want to know about the soul and, and other ways of developing themselves spiritually. And also, of course, we see these days man is becoming more and more aware of the necessary to look after the planet and so on and so forth and look after themselves, the gyms and so on and so forth. Many people go there for exercises. So how to develop yourself physically, morally and spiritually? These are questions which I think you're right. They're still being asked and are very, they will continue to be asked. They're very important questions. As for the state of man after death, again, this is something which often people should think about. That what happens when they die? They don't want to die. But if they die, is there going to be a heaven and a hell? Or is this it? So again, this is a very relevant question. And then something which I often ask people, that what is your purpose in life? This is, I think, the most important question that we should be asking. That if, if we've been created, and all the signs show a creator, so if we've been created, why? Why has he created us? What is our purpose? And when I present this, most people, they just say, to live a good life. But for Muslims, of course, we believe that the whole purpose in life is to worship God. And the purpose of worshipping God is again developing that relationship, which will then continue in the next life. So this was what God gave us his physical life for, to help us to develop a relationship, a close relationship with God. Then the effects of one deeds. Again, we should be aware of what we're doing and what effect that has on other people. And then, what are the sources of divine knowledge? So again, this is what we're trying to do through these particular classes of looking at signs, which is a source of divine knowledge that has come from Allah. And so again, to understand about the existence of God and looking into the sources of divine knowledge is very, very important. So I think these five questions are very, very important, and it was very wise of Swami Saab to think about these questions and put these questions for the speakers. You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. The number point is that this is relevant to every religion. Every religion covers these questions. If they are a religion, then they will be covering these questions. So it's not that it's aimed for one particular religion, like Hinduism. He was a Hindu. It's not that, oh, I've got all the answers and knows that everyone hasn't. Everyone should be able to speak on these five questions. What do you think? Do you think other religions can speak about this? What about you, Khan? Do you think this? These questions, they are some of the basic teachings of every religion. And life after death and other questions that you have mentioned for example when you're in secondary or primary you learn about some different religions and these are the questions that were covered in every religion that we covered for example hinduism christianity judaism or sikhism and there were so many similarities between every single religion and this is the main thing that we should think about. Right, so Swami Saad invited Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, to give an address 
Hazrat Mazaklam wrote his address and then he requested Mulvi Abdul Karim Salkoti to speak on his behalf. So going back to the passage, Hazrat Mazaklam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, said, Khwaja Kamaluddin Sahib and many other friends are a witness and they can swear on oath that they have been informed in advance. Now here, Hazrat Mazaklam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, he received a revelation from God on the 21st of December 1896, which was a few days before the conference, and he publicly declared that his essay would be the best. So this was a few days before the conference. He wrote, A grand piece of news for seekers after truth. In the Conference of Great Religions, which will be held in Lahore Town Hall on the 26th, the 27th and 28th of December, a paper written by this humble one, dealing with the excellences and miracles of the Holy Quran, will be read out. This paper is not the result of ordinary human effort, but it is a sign amongst the signs of God, written with his special support. But later on he said that it is full of the light of truth, wisdom and understanding, which will put to shame all other parties. And a bit later on he said, they will not be able to match these qualities from the scriptures. He then continues to say that I saw in a vision that out of the unseen a hand was laid on my mansion and by the touch of that hand a shining light emerged from the mansion and spread in all directions. It also illumined my hands. Thereupon someone who was standing by me proclaimed in a loud voice, Allah Akbar, Kherabat, Kherba. God is great, Kherba has fallen. It was thus disclosed to me that the wide publication of this paper would expose the untruth of false religions and the truth of the Holy Quran will spread progressively around the earth till it arrives at its climax. I received the revelation, God is with you and God stands where you stand. This is a metaphor conveying the assurance of divine support. This was the prophecy and this was the announcement that Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed made a few days before the conference. Do you think this is clear that it's a revelation from God and he is announcing what's going to happen beforehand? Basil? I think this is such a big claim to make a few days before the conference, especially saying that God told me that your essay will be superior over others. And if we as Muslims look at the Holy Quran, even Allah tells that if a person makes a claim and says that God told this to him, then he will be obliterated or he will not succeed. And not only in the Holy Quran, we see this in, even in earlier scriptures. So I think this is really a big sign to prove the truth of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about before a conference. You don't know what's going to happen in a conference. If you can imagine going to any function where you've got to do a speech, you don't know how the others are going to perform, what they're going to say or anything. 
to make such a bold declaration beforehand that my paper is going to be better than everyone else's. And of course, God has told him this. But the fact that he's declaring this beforehand is either arrogance or assurance that this has truly come from God. So this is paving the way to this conference. Now, Hazrat Mazakla member continued to say in the passage that both English and Urdu newspapers unanimously declared that my paper stood above all the others. Now, we see in the Civil and Military Gazette in Lahore, which is an English paper, that the participants of the conference showed great interest in the lecture of Meza Glam Ahmed of Qadian. His paper was an expert and flawless defence of Islam. Chawin Said Walpindi said, By far the best lecture of the conference was written by Meza Glam Ahmed of Qadian. The audience was captivated. Every sentence met with applause. In short, Mezzab's lecture was complete and comprehensive, replete with gems of knowledge, wisdom, truths and mysteries. Another paper was General O. Goha Asifi from Calcutta, which said, It is true to say that if Mezzab's paper had not been presented, the Muslims would have been disgraced in comparison to other religions. Had it not been for the powerful hand of the Almighty, the religion of Islam would not have prevailed. In foreign newspapers, the Bristol Times and Mirror from the UK said, Surely the man who addresses Europe and America in this manner can be no ordinary being. And from America, the spiritual journal Boston stated, This book is good news for the whole human race. So these are some of the newspaper reports in English and Urdu which Hazrat Mazaklam Ahmed was mentioning about. In fact, this paper has been published into a book. Initially it was called The Teachings of Islam, but then it was renamed The Philosophy and Teachings of Islam. And this book has been translated in many, many languages. And in fact, it was the very first book that I read that brought me to Islam because it was so powerful. Although it was very difficult, I wasn't used to reading books, let alone books on religion. But when I started reading this book, the contents just drew me in and it started making me question certain things and then made me realise that religion was completely different to what I imagined and I understood more about Islamic teachings because it was constantly quoting from the Holy Quran. So it was a beautiful book. And I know so many people who have converted to Islam through reading this book. So have you read the book, Basil? What do you think of the book? Yes, I have read this book and it's, I must say it's extraordinary. Even if you have read this book before and if you read even a passage of it again, you will wonder that, wow, did I even read this before? I mean, there's so much knowledge in this book that it answers every question that you have about religion and spirituality. So this was two signs where we showed where God had made prophecies beforehand. But the main reason I wanted to go through these two signs today was for the listeners to hear about the incidences as well. Not just 
that God prophesied and it happened. But what happened in the court case and what happened with this lecture? Because it is very, very interesting. And I hope that we've created an interest for you, the listeners, to go uh, read this book as well, because it is such an excellent book. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's class. So Asalaamu Thank you very much. That was very informative. And I hope to join again. Jazakallah. Thank you so much. It was really informative and we learned so much more about the book, The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam. You have been listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam. And today we have been covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.